Good morning, one more time. You've heard it said when uh, speakers are introduced that this person needs no introduction. That might be the case for our speaker this morning. He was uh, here as our senior pastor for 11 years and is friends to many of you, and me too. But if you came after 2008, uh, possibly he does need an introduction. So he was here as our senior pastor for 11 years, and then God called him to uh, California, to uh, Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. This was a church that uh, was hurting when God sent him there, and under Sean's leadership and ministry, the church has been blessed by God and has uh, thrived. We're so pleased to have him back in West Virginia today and here uh, on our platform. Uh, while he's been away from us, he has become a uh, acclaimed author, and today he has brought with him uh, copies of his book, All But Normal, Life on Victory Road. Uh, this is a, a memoir that has received a lot of attention. Uh, it's about his childhood, growing up in a family, a challenging family situation, uh, resulting from his mother's uh, having, having received a traumatic brain injury when she was just a, a teenager. So it's a page turner for sure, an interesting uh, book. Uh, Sean wasn't able to be here with us last summer, and many of you have talked about the book and looked for an opportunity to, uh, to get the book and to uh, maybe even have Sean sign it. So he's brought some with him today. They're available in the gathering space. Uh, after the service, he will be here right down front for about 10 minutes if you just want to come by and say hey. And then after about 10 minutes, he'll go back to the book table out of the gathering space and be there to assign copies of the book if you would like. Uh, interesting to note that the proceeds from the sale of this book are going to a children's ministry in Uganda, uh, Africa. So welcome with me, our former pastor, your friend and mine, Sean Thornton. Thanks, Lee. Thank you very much, Lee. It is great to be back. And uh, every time I come back, Lee has a different title and is doing something different here. I have been to, I think, three or four of your retirement parties, Lee. I'm not going to come to any more. Uh, it is really good to be here. Uh, we have a special place in our hearts for West Virginia, for Charleston, for Bible Center Church, and uh, see so many faces, so many uh, friends, uh, and I'm sorry that I'm here alone, and I'm here for less than 24 hours. My dad had some surgery in uh, Indiana, knee surgery, knee replacement, and I was able to see him uh, on Friday and came here yesterday. I'll leave this afternoon, go back and see him, and then fly home tomorrow uh, from Chicago. And um, boy, oh boy, you got a big clock back there. Hey, when Stephen told me there's a clock in the back, was that put together just for me? Is that whole thing just set up for me? Um, but I'm sorry that the rest of the family couldn't be here. Uh, Leslie and I celebrated 27 years of marriage on Friday while I was in Indiana. And uh, um, this is a picture of us actually on our 25th wedding anniversary. We went back to, I think there's a picture of us 
Yes. Uh, when we went back to Prince Edward Island where we had honeymooned uh, 25 years earlier, and this Friday, 27 years with this beautiful lady who is such a big help to me. And, and uh, like you, uh, Calvary keeps me around longer than I probably should have been because of her. And uh, I think you kept me longer just because Leslie was such a, a great uh, part of, of the, the Bible Center family. And our three kids, they're all young adults now. Uh, so our, uh, our three kids, John the oldest, and there's a picture here of them, I think here, that'll come up, I think, there it is. And John's in the middle. John graduated from Wheaton College a year ago and has been working for the Ventura County Department of Health as a communications consultant. Only the government would hire a 23-year-old as a consultant. And uh, now he's transitioning into a full-time employee in communications. He's even helped the director of, of the uh, um, health department in Ventura County write an editorial for the newspaper. And so he loves communication. And uh, he's bilingual when it comes to he's fluent in Spanish. And so he communicates both with the Spanish community, which is very large in Ventura County, and also the English-speaking uh, population. Katie on the right in the picture is going to be a senior this fall at Wheaton College, and uh, she is uh, she has majored in she has three majors at Wheaton: uh, international policy, gender studies, and we have some interesting discussions about that. And then. Um, uh, she is, her third major is Mandarin Chinese, and she just got back from spending time in Tianjin, China, learning further Mandarin, and she hopes to, she doesn't know what she wants to do with all that. She's maybe going to go to law school, and she's thinking about doing documents or agreements between the U.S. government, Chinese government, U.S. businesses, and Chinese businesses. And then Megan on the left in the picture, our youngest, just graduated from high school last month, and I had the privilege of being asked to be the speaker at her graduation, which was a great honor, and I was an emotional basket case. Um, but uh, she is heading to Seattle, to Seattle University this fall. She wants to study uh, what's called drama therapy, where they use uh, counseling with kids who've been through trauma, where they act out plays and then ask them about the emotions and help counsel them that way. Kids who've come from war-torn areas of the world or uh, some of the harder places within the U.S. And so our kids are doing great. Uh, they love Jesus. And uh, we, we are hoping maybe a couple of us will be back next month uh, uh, to, to visit. We're not sure yet if that's going to work out. Uh, but my whole family said hello, and they're, they're disappointed that they could not be with me. And uh, I just uh, want to mention uh, uh, about the book. I mentioned to Lee uh, that a number of folks had inboxed me or emailed me about could I sign a book or would I have books, so I brought some, and those are available. And all the proceeds are going to a place, and it's interesting, you call it U U Uganda. Uh, I've always pronounced it Uganda, but uh, you're right. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Um, and we've been connected with that ministry since we moved to California, and, and uh, our whole family's been there. And, uh, you know, the children in Africa have a lot of challenges, and so we've been pushing anything we receive from uh, the book, uh, personally, Leslie and I, to help uh, the kids in Uganda. And uh, it's interesting, just three or four books uh, being sold can take care of a week or two of a child's education, food, and, and uh, lodging and everything in the God Care School there in Kapala. So um, that's, I just want to make sure you knew of that, that that gives an investment that helps people around the globe. Also, I don't know if you've been paying attention to your bulletin, but I think it's been announced maybe two weeks now that you have a new executive pastor coming, a man named John King. And some of you are familiar with John King. You probably remember that he grew up here at Bible Center, went to Appalachian Bible College, and went out in ministry. And um, 
Um, he is coming back to his home church, Bible Center, to be the executive pastor to work closely uh, with Pastor Matt. And uh, let me just tell you, because he's been on my staff for five years, that uh, well, I think we're even now, okay? Um, <clears throat> my brother came to join us from your staff uh, a little over a year ago, and he and his family are doing great, by the way. Uh, but we would trade you my brother to, if we could keep John King. Uh, <clears throat> and for a draft pick to name, be named later. Uh, John King, is, as he arrives, uh, when I shared with our congregation a couple weeks ago that he was leaving, coming here, um, I really did tear up because you're going to find in this man uh, one of the best leaders I've ever worked with, one of the most tender-hearted shepherds I've ever worked with, and just a good friend. And he is going to invest in the ministry here. He has a heart for West Virginia. He has a heart for Charleston. And as Pastor Matt has shared the vision that... Charleston would be a, uh, our Bible Center would be a church that Charleston can't do without. That has really resonated in John's heart. And uh, so while I am greatly disappointed because he has been a major part of our team in California the last five years and has helped us advance the mission and vision God has given us, uh, you're going to, as time goes, fall in love with John and Emily and their three daughters as they settle in here and he becomes uh, a key leader and a key pastor on your team. He is a blessing to me personally, and uh, I'm still not over this one. This one kind of stings a bit, except I'm excited that Pastor Matt and Pastor John would be working together and have a heart for this community and for this state, and I think God's going to do some great things. I think the best days of Bible Center Church are still ahead, and uh, I look forward to hearing great things about people coming to Jesus and, and getting grounded and growing in Jesus here. Thank you for being so kind and allowing me to uh, to come back, and uh, I want to look into a passage of Scripture, a story that took place uh, in the 15th century B.C. Uh, this is a story that many of us are familiar with. If you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to be uh, talking today about how the Bible can help us. Just answering the question, how can the Bible help me daily? This is a great question for a church named Bible Center Church. I always loved the Bible Center as it remained Bible Center was Bible centered was Jesus focused, and I think uh, this passage is a, a great answer to that question: How can the Bible help me daily? This is after the nation of Israel has wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. They're at the edge of the land where they were just over 38 years earlier, and uh, they were scared. And they backed off. You remember they sent the 12 spies in to the promised land after they left Egypt and they were heading uh, to the promised land, the land that had been given to Abraham. And as they get to the edge in Numbers 13 and 14, we see they send in these spies, 10 come back and say, there are giants in that land, there are walled cities, we will be crushed by them, there is no way we can move into that land and take it. Even if God has promised us that, we can't do it. But two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can do it. If the Lord is on our side, we can go in and do this. But the ten spies uh, overwhelmed those other two, and the nation backed off. And God said, okay, then this generation is going to die out as you wander around for four decades in the wilderness. And then I will take that next generation in. And we come to Joshua chapter 1. It's a major time of transition for the people of Israel. Joshua 1 and verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. This is the announcement. Remember, God took him aside and took his 
life uh, because he could not go into the promised land because of the way in which he had um, uh, responded and, and beat the rock without God's uh, telling him to. He had an angry heart, and God said, because of that, you will see the promised land, but you won't go in. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. This is what he said to Moses, going back as early as the burning bush. You go, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and I'm going to be with you, Moses, wherever you go. Tell him the great I am has sent you. And wherever you step, Moses, I'm going to give you that land in your daily journey from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. This was a land promised to Abraham there in Palestine, and this is what God has promised. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be, and notice it changes here the second time, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Now, all the law would reference the five books of the Pentateuch. That's all they had at this time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but, shall, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And this prosperity and this success that is mentioned is not about financial gain. This is not the prosperity gospel, the wealth and health prosperity gospel. This is saying you want success, satisfaction, peace, joy in life. The way to that is through meditating on, letting it come to your mouth, the Word of God, and then doing it, obeying it. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? And the answer is, yes, I have, twice before. I'm going to do it one more time, right here in this passage. God talking to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why is he saying this? Well, Joshua has been here before. He was one of the voices that said, let's go. And the people reject that. I'm sure Joshua's having some post-traumatic stress from that. <laughs> I'm now going to lead the people in there. Moses couldn't get them to go in there. And the Lord says, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A major emphasis of this passage is this idea that the Lord is with you wherever you go. Back up in, in verse 3, it says, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Now, they've been treading around on land for 40 years that they didn't own and they would never possess. And now he says, after all that, this generation who has known no other land but the wandering in the wilderness, wherever you step, Joshua, they are going to know that this is my land and I'm going to give it to you. But be strong and courageous. Now, as I, I think about this, uh, the, the example in Scripture, we think of how do we live our daily lives? How do we uh, go to work? How do we live with our neighbors? How do we deal with our family stuff, our marriage stuff? And, and we think of our daily lives. The scriptures often talk about wherever you go. 
God is with you in the everyday details of life. And this idea that where the sole of your foot will step speaks of the daily experience they would have as they moved in to the promised land. I brought a, a, a shoe that someone uh, was kind enough to give me. This shoe, pretty big shoe, huh? Size 23. This is a real shoe. This is Shaquille O'Neal's shoe. It was worn by Shaquille O'Neal on uh, October 8, 2005. It's a huge shoe. And you can kind of understand that wherever this foot steps, it takes ground, right? It would take some turf. Now, to compare it, this is my shoe. <laughs> Compared to this shoe. I mean, big difference. But one of the things that the people had faced their first time was, it was too scary, too big, they're dominant, we cannot do it. And God says, it doesn't matter how equipped you are, Joshua, I am going to go with you and the people into the promised land, and wherever the sole of your foot steps, I am going to give that to you. That is my word, that is my promise. Now be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And by the way, if you haven't gotten it yet, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And I think there's something that we need to understand from God's word this morning from Joshua chapter 1. Here's the, the focus of what I want to share from this scripture. Finding the strength and courage to live for Christ in our everyday lives starts with God's word. I don't know about you. As I look at the culture, and I, of course, am in, in California where the culture is, I mean, it's just there. I mean, it's just there. Uh, but the more... I look around at the changing landscape and how morals and values are being defined in our culture, the more I feel like either I'm getting old or the world has gone mad. Maybe it's both. I'm getting old and the world has gone mad. We live in a time when to live out our Christian faith. As I teach principles from God's Word, a couple weeks ago I addressed the issues of sexuality in, in a message, and, and uh, as I spoke, I could feel that I am speaking upstream. I'm, I'm swimming upstream with that message from God's word. And just, uh, I've been at Calvary now nine years, and just nine years ago when I arrived, I, I felt even a greater freedom in terms of the culture was closer, but you can see it drifting. It is harder and harder for the followers of Jesus Christ to live and love like Jesus in a world that's gone mad. And we need to understand the kind of strength that God was talking about. The reason why the second time he says be strong and, very, and courageous has very courageous is because that is a grammatical device in the Hebrew to say it's very important for you, Joshua, to be prepared. I'm going to send you into some battles. But here, this part of this passage, what I'm saying to you now, Joshua, my words right now, this is the key. And the key has to do with the word of God, not how well prepared you are for military battle. And as we try to live and love like Jesus in the culture today, we need to understand that it's not about how skilled we are at politics. It's not about how skilled we are at, at our apologetics. It's, it's not how, how great we are in our ability to compare this culture to the biblical values. Now, there's nothing wrong with all those things, but at the heart of it is, are we, the followers of Jesus Christ, going to be Bible-centered or not? 
Are we going to hear from God and then live our lives according to the word of God, or are we going to allow ourselves to drift into the same moral malaise that's in the culture around us? And I want to suggest today that we need strength and courage to truly be salt and light in the world today to live in love like Jesus. And that starts with the word of God. Not our arguments, not our abilities to, to, to convince people around us, but we need to be living out the reality of God's word in our everyday lives. Finding the strength and courage to live for Christ in our everyday lives starts with God's word. I wanna share with you three things that I think answer that question. Three answers to how can the Bible help me daily. Number one, it reminds us, the Bible reminds us that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. I want to focus in on verses 6 through 9 for the heart of, uh, of this message this morning. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. This is God talking to Joshua, who's on the brink of going into the land they've longed for for four decades. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land. This has been a part of the plan. This was the plan when you were here 38 years ago, Joshua. This is a part of my kingdom plan. I promised this to Abraham, and it was through Abraham that I was going to send one who'd be a blessing to all the nations. And we know that then is Jesus, who comes from God's chosen people, Israel. You can look at this and say, well, this is just about land and territory, and it's part of that same old Middle East squabble that's going on today. Not exactly. This was a part of the promise he made to Abraham it was a part of how the Messiah, the Redeemer, would come and God's plan of redemption so that God's kingdom, as Jesus prayed, that his kingdom of heaven would be experienced here on earth and then there would be a literal kingdom when Jesus would come and reign, as he still will do and we await. It reminds us that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. When you read the story of God's word and then you look at how you fit into it, you start seeing how the Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus, how the New Testament is pointing back to Jesus. You begin to see God's kingdom plan. And we understand how we fit into God's kingdom plan, the big picture. God's whole purpose since the fall of Adam and Eve in all that he did through the nation of Israel, all that you read in the Old Testament was to show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior to provide a, a way for us to have a right relationship with him. So Jesus came at the right time. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross of Calvary. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised. Why? It was a part of God's eternal kingdom plan. It's a part of God's story with mankind because God loves us. It's his love story. And now, we who are broken and sinners before God, when we admit that we're a sinner, that we fall short of who God is, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God saves us from our sin. God makes us right with him through the finished work of Jesus. Not how good we are, not how often we go to church, how much we give to charities, not how sincere we are in our faith, but that our faith is in the right object, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the moment anyone prays and receives Christ, Christ as Savior, that moment they're forgiven by God and they have a relationship with him now and forever. That's a part of God's overall kingdom plan. And this land stuff, you can get distracted by that. This is God working his kingdom plan. And we fit into that because Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with God. 
Let me just stop right here and ask you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've been here at Bible Center since I was pastor, and you have never crossed that line of faith. What are you waiting for? What are you, what are you playing around with God? You fit into God's plan. He wants you to come to him now. Put your faith in Jesus today. This book, as you open it daily, as you read it, as you memorize it, as you meditate on it, as you think about this book, you begin to see God's incredible story of his kingdom plan. Not only that, it reminds us that we're part of a bigger thing than ourselves, his kingdom plan, but we're also part of God's kingdom people, his kingdom people. We are part of what Peter would say in the New Testament, that holy nation, that chosen people, that called out group we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're a part of the local church. You're part of Bible Center, and together as a body of believers, you're making a difference here in, in the city of Charleston and in the Kanawha Valley and in the state of West Virginia and throughout the country and around the world through your efforts and your endeavors. And there is something powerful about God's people worshiping together, serving together, hanging out and doing life together and making a difference in the community. We're a part of God's family. And as God talks to Joshua there in verse 6, he says, you know, you're going to inherit this land. This is a part of the kingdom plan. And he says, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Some of your translations might say, which I swore to their ancestors. This is what he promised Abraham, Isaac. He's been faithful to that promise. Joshua, you're a part of that. And if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of God's kingdom people. Why have you been left on planet earth? To do your job, to raise your family? Well, those are side things. You've been left here. You didn't, when you received Christ, immediately go to heaven because you've been left here to be salt and light, to live and love like Jesus where you are every day, wherever the sole of your foot goes because you're part of God's kingdom people. Have any of you uh, done your ancestry DNA yet? Anybody done that? Were you spitting a tube for about 20 minutes trying to fill a little thing they send you? Nobody? I, I just did that and got, I see a few now. I just did that and got my results back last week. And shocker of shockers, I am 99% Western European. I'm 80% British. But most of my family line, both my father's and my mother's, goes back to pre-revolutionary war days. I mean, everything I can find goes back that far. I've been on Ancestry.com, I kind of got onto it recently, and I've been checking it out, and, and I couldn't figure it out for a while, and finally it clicked, and I figured this thing out, and now I've, I've kind of made it a hobby. My wife calls it an obsession, but I call it a hobby. And one of the things I discovered was my five times great-grandfather, John Thornton, which happens to be the name of my father and the name of my son, my five times great-grandfather joined the Continental Army in September of 1777. And just as he joined, there were two major defeats, and Washington and his troops retreated to Valley Forge. And so John Thornton, my five times great-grandfather, was at Valley Forge and survived that harsh winter. He went on to serve in the Continental Army for six more years, actually served to the point where it moved from being the Continental Army that he was actually a part of the first U.S. Army. I have a copy. I was able to uh, obtain a copy of his final pay slip in September, September 14th, 1784. And in his final pay slip, he's paid $54 for six months. Now, in today's terms, that sounds horrible. Guess what? In the revolutionary times, war times, that was also horrible. There was no government to really pay them anything. It was this, this rebellion against, this revolution against 
the crown. So what they had promised these men was, if you stay in the Continental Army, through Valley Forge, through the battles, through everything, and you live, we have a lot of land we can give you. So he was given 200 acres in Pennsylvania, married there, middle of Pennsylvania, after the war. Made, made a farm, raised his family. He died there, was buried there. He was given that land in an act of Congress in about 1800. Well, then in the late 1820s, Congress said, we didn't pay those Revolutionary War soldiers that much. We should actually give them more land. Where, where do we have land? How can we help these people and their descendants? Because this land warrant that he was given could be passed on to the next generation or to his widow, which Magdala, his widow, held that land warrant. And in the late 1820s, Congress said, let's give them three times as much land as we gave them before. They can sell that other land, and we'll give them land in the far-off wilderness territory of the West. So Magdala and her grown children and her grandchildren all moved from Pennsylvania to the far west of Akron, Ohio. <laughs> and they were given more acreage, and they developed a big farm, and some of her children established farms apart from the main family farm. But then in 1855, Congress again said, you know, we just didn't treat those Revolutionary War soldiers uh, like we should have, and they were kind of people who were committed to us, and we'd like some of those people to go to the far west. So those people who were given land in the east or in Ohio, we want to give them more land. If they can sell that land, they can keep it, and we'll give them more land. Magdala had died in Ohio, but her son and the son of John Thornton, the Revolutionary War soldier, Henry Thornton, held the land warrant in the inheritance. And the government said, if you go to the far western territory of Indiana, we'll give you twice as much land as we gave you before. So in the late 1850s, the family moves to northern Indiana, to St. Joe and Elkhart County, Indiana, and they had a huge farm, and they become the people who established that area. I never knew that. I, I thought, I didn't know how I got to Indiana. I'm a Hoosier because of a guy who fought in the Revolutionary War who was my five times great-grandfather. That is, to me, that's an incredible legacy. But better than that, I've read the wills of most of my forefathers back to him. There's only one missing where there was an obituary or will or some final statement of death. It would talk about their possessions. It would talk about his fighting in the war. But then it talked about how much this person, generation after generation, loved God and loved other people. And while that land thing is kind of cool to me and that legacy, what's even better is to know that I come from people who were trying to represent Jesus in the world wherever they went, wherever they stepped, whatever land God gave them. And God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, you're connected to something bigger than yourself. And what's happened to me just studying that Ancestry.com, I'm a part of something bigger than myself in my earthly family, but we're all a part of something bigger than ourselves in our heavenly family. Do you get a little lost sometimes and not understand that you fit into God's kingdom plan, God's kingdom people? The Word of God, as we read it and study it, we have our devotions out of it, we hear sermons on it, it keep reminds, keeps reminding us that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. That excites me. I hope it excites you. Secondly, the Bible not only helps us daily because it reminds us that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, it gives us the clarity we need when life gets complicated. I don't know about you, but life gets complicated. I thought as my kids got older, life would get easier, parenting-wise. But now they all leave in a car and go different directions, live other places, have people I don't know influencing their lives. And now I pray for my kids even more than I did when they were little. And then the cultural stuff around us and my own aging and, and 
life gets complicated. In our marriages, in our homes, at work, life's messy in this broken world. But this word gives us clarity in the middle of that. You want to know what God thinks about gossiping? You'll find it here. You want to know what God thinks about marriage? You'll find it here. You want to know what God thinks about finances? You'll find it here. You'll find the principles. You want to know what God thinks about the words you use? You'll find it here. You want to know what God thinks about every aspect of your life? Open his word. Look what verse 7 and 8 say. And this is where they kind of, if, if there was a highlighter, this is the part God is highlighting when he says, be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Very courageous. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the Moses, my servant, commanded you, which is in the word of God. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left. I think that's a great statement. I think we have to be careful in politics today. That we don't turn to the right and allow the, the right politics, the conservative politics, to shape our Christianity, or turn to the left and let the left's politics shape our Christianity. Our Christianity ought to shape our politics. It ought to shape every aspect of our lives. That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do it. Right there in verse 8 is the heart, I think, of where the clarity is going to come from for us from God's word. You see, it gives us the clarity we need when life gets complicated. So what do we do with God's word? Number one, mull it over. Mull it over. That's to meditate on it day and night. Some of you may open the Bible or you might use a devotional like the Daily Bread. I think you can go to dailybread.org and read a devotional every day. We have a ministry that's a part of Calvary now called PrayFit. You can go to prayfit.org and one of our team members, Jimmy Pena, writes a, a, a devotional every day there. It's great. I love the devotionals he writes, prayfit.org. And the word of God is not just to be read and put on the shelf and then you forget it. No, it's something you're to think about. Yesterday while I was driving, I had this passage of scripture up on my iPhone in giant print. Be, 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 please know, and when I got stopped for an hour because a car was on fire on 270 around Columbus, stopped for an hour. I just kept reading the passage and meditating. What, what is God saying? What, did, what is he emphasizing? Why the very courageous? Stuff I'd studied this week, mulling it over and mulling it over and mulling it over. I found myself last night uh, as I fell asleep thinking about this passage, mulling it over. And it's not just because I'm going to preach it, but this is God's word and we needed to mull it over and think it over. And, and one of the ways someone once taught me was to take, I'd encourage you, take a verse like verse 8 and, and just read it over this week every day Maybe sit down and read. Someone taught me to read it this way. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And read it. Then go back and read it again and say, this book of the law shall not depart. See, emphasize each word. That's a way because when you do that, then all of a sudden you start noticing the words and how they connect to the other words, and that's one way to meditate on it. You can memorize it so that it's hidden in your heart. As Psalm 119 says, when, our, when God's word is hidden in our heart, it's there so that we don't sin against him. We need to mull it over. Secondly, we need to keep it ready. Keep it ready. Now, it's a little strange for us to read where he says, uh, there, uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Why your mouth? Well, this is an idiom in the ancient world. When you kept something in your mouth, it was at the ready. This is exemplified in Jesus when Satan tempts him and he responds to the temptation by quoting scripture, it was at the ready, it was on the tip of his tongue. We might say you keep it top of mind. It's ready to go. 
And that's why if you're ever around Jewish people, I'm going to be in Israel this fall with a, with a group of people. And if you've been to Israel and you see uh, Orthodox Jewish people, they will, they will stand like at the Western Wall. Or even if you fly on a, a major airline there, you'll see them get up at certain times on the plane and they will dob. They will move like this and their lips will be moving. They're quoting scripture. Because this is that principle that as you say it out loud, as you mull it over and you keep it at the tip of your tongue, then when temptation comes, when difficulty comes, when a challenge comes, the word of God is at the ready. And a lot of us fall to temptation because this book is just on the shelf. It's not deep in our hearts. It's not on the tip of our tongue. It's not ready to be used. And we need to keep it ready. Thirdly, follow it completely. Follow it completely. You mull it over. That's the meditate on it in your heart day and night. Keep it ready. That's don't let it depart from your mouth. And then it says, so that you may be careful to do there in verse 8. And back in verse 7, he started the whole thing. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do. There are a lot of Christians who have memorized a lot of Scripture. There are a lot of Christians who read the Bible every day but they don't let it mull over in their mind and in their heart. They don't keep it at the ready, and then they are not doing it. We've got to live this book. Now, Joshua is about to go into military battle. You'd think God would be giving him military plans first thing. By the way, Moses is dead. Here are the plans. We're going to march in. Now he says, let me tell you what was the secret to the success of Moses. He listened to my word, and he did what I said. Joshua, you want that same time of success? Military stuff, all that other stuff, that's going to come but you mull over my word deep in your heart, night and day, meditating on it, thinking about it. How does it apply to your life? What does it mean? What is God saying? You keep it ready so that when temptation comes, you quote that back to, to, to that temptation to Satan himself. And then you follow it completely. You do what it says. I've shared with you over the years, one of the greatest disappointments for a pastor, the things that it weighed on my heart, whether it was here at Bible Center or in California at Calvary Community Church, is when someone says to me, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but. Have you said that this week? I know what the Bible says about my language, but. I know what the Bible says about my anger, but. I know what the Bible says about my patience, but. I know what the Bible says about my marriage, my family, my work ethic, but, 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 but. God is not leaving any room here for any buts. Do it completely. Live it out. Mark Twain said, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they don't understand, but what bothers me the most are the passages I do understand. <laughs> this book, why, how does it help us daily? It reminds us we're part of something bigger than ourselves. It gives us the clarity we need when life gets complicated. And thirdly, it encourages us to trust God no matter what. It encourages us to trust God no matter what. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not be frightened. Life gets scary. <laughs> and when life gets scary, we got to trust God. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Life gets stressful. I don't know if any of you deal with stress. I, I, I have a lot of stress in my life. In the various roles I live on planet Earth. 
Life can get stressful. Life can get scary. But the more we read God's word and we read the stories like of Joshua, we, we read the stories of, of Peter saying, if that's you, Jesus, call me out. And then when he sinks, Jesus pulls him up and, oh, you have a little faith. And his faith grows as he trusts God more. This, is, this book is full of stories of people who, yes, failed, but grew through their failures and trusted God more and held his hand more tightly. This book, as you read it, reminds us that our God is worthy of our faith and trust in the little things of life, the big things in life, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly. It encourages us to trust God more every day. Some of you know that I do not like to fly. I don't like to fly at all. I still don't like to fly, even though I fly a lot. And long distances, because most of my contacts are in the east, and so far the west coast people don't like me much, so I'm fly I don't speak very much west of the Mississippi anywhere, but I go to the east of the Mississippi a lot. So long flights. And I've had an opportunity to travel internationally a couple times a year to, for different reasons. And back in January, I was flying to Colombia and met my son. At the last minute, he was able to join our trip with Compassion International to go into some slums of uh, of, uh, of Colombia. And so we met up in Panama City, and we weren't seated together on the plane or anything, but my kids and my wife say it doesn't matter if you sit next to Dad or not because I take a little pill, put on an eye mask, and go to sleep because I get motion sick very badly. And so I get kind of worked up on an airplane sometimes. I haven't done anything. You're not gonna, so far, you haven't read anything about me, you know, some guy trying to open the door on a flight or anything. None of that has been me. I've had the feeling every now and then, but I haven't done it. But we were on this flight, and John, my son, thought it'd be fun to take a picture of me, and uh, he took this picture of me, he was in front of me, and he sent it to the family and said, here's dad, it's fun being on a flight with him. Life can get scary, life can be stressful, I don't know where your fears are, where your stress points are, where the difficulties are, but what God is saying to Joshua is you can trust me, Joshua, mull over my word, Keep it ready, do it, and then trust me. Our part is to obey what God says, and then we trust him with the outcomes. We let go of our control. That's what he's preparing Joshua. Hey, Moses is dead. This is the announcement. It comes from God. Here's the obituary. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you're in charge, Joshua. You can trust me. And his word reminds us we can trust him no matter what. Life will get challenging. Life will get challenging. He says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Joshua, I can tell you, those giants are still in that land. The walled cities are still there. If anything, they've gotten stronger in the four decades since you were here before. Joshua, it's going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy. They're not just going to say, oh, come on into our land. Take our cities. Take our crops. Take everything. Move in. This is great. I don't know what your week is going to be, but I guarantee you, you're going to have some challenges this afternoon, this week, whether it's medical, financial, family, work, life will get challenging. But we have this wonderful promise at the end of verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't be scared. Don't be stressed out. God is with you wherever you go. And this is the promise Jesus would say in Matthew 28 as he sent the disciples out. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And guys, you'll be able to do it because I am with you to the end of the age.
Wherever you go, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in you as the seal that you are his if you're a follower of Christ. And that seal stays with you according to Ephesians 1 until you're in his presence. God is with you wherever the sole of your foot steps. If it's at work, if it's home, it's in the community, if it's while you're on vacation, God is with you. Life will get challenging. But this book reminds us, yeah, life will be challenging. But if you're his child, if you're his God will be with you wherever you go. You see, finding the strength and courage to live for Christ in our everyday lives starts with God's word. This reminds us we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. This book, this book gives us the clarity we need when life gets complicated. And this book encourages us to trust God no matter what. In our community, our churches, about 50 to 60 churches gather together in, in the northern L.A. area, the southern Ventura County area. We're right on the, our church is in L.A. County, but I live in Ventura County. We do a serve day once a year where we get about 1,000 people and we go and help people in the community, paint homes and do all this stuff on one Saturday. And I've heard that you guys are doing that over the course of time. And I ended up at the Ventura County Rescue Mission since my days in seminary when I worked at as a volunteer at the Union Gospel Mission and then being here in Charleston, having a heart for uh, uh, Charleston's uh, 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 mission here uh, with uh, Rex and Kay and the whole team that works there. I've had a heart for mission work. And uh, so I went that day and the director introduced me to a man who had come to them two weeks earlier, 95 years old, who came to them homeless. His name is Jack. He's a 95-year-old World War II veteran who was homeless. A lot of it was some confusion he created with the VA, and they've helped him smooth that out, and I spent some time, and they've been there two weeks living in a shelter with all these other men, all these other homeless people. And I started talking to him, and he says, what you do is really important. He said, I couldn't have made it through all of this except for Jesus in my life. And he said, and I've been thinking about a lot of verses as I walk the streets, he says, that book has been so important to me during this period of my life. And he said, don't forget to keep teaching that book to people as they walk with Jesus. And now they've helped him through the VA get a house, uh, an apartment, and he's in a safe place. But I even offered, you know, can we put you in a hotel or something? He said, I got a bed here tonight. They're taking care of me. They're feeding me. I'm fine. But really, he said, it's my relationship with Jesus Christ and my thinking over God's word that's kept me alive every day, giving me hope and satisfaction. This is what God is telling Joshua when he says at the end of verse 8, then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Most people look at Jack and say, here's a 95-year-old homeless World War II vet. How is that prosperous and successful? Because in the midst of the confusion he had with the VA and and being homeless, he said, I am content in Jesus, and God's word has been ministering to me. How can the Bible help me daily? Well, finding the strength and courage to live for Christ in our everyday lives starts with God's word. Are you letting God's word give you strength and courage each new day? You got to open it. You got to mull over it, memorize it. Read one of those verses emphasizing. Take verse 8 and just emphasize this week. One word at a time. Read it over and over. Maybe once a day. Do it that way. Reading it through till you've read it through. Every time for each word. And see what God, the Holy Spirit, does in your life 
to make it deep in your heart, to keep it on your lips, and to help you do it, to live it. I've always loved the name of this church, Bible Center Church, because when you are Bible centered, you will be Jesus focused. And my heart's prayer is that God will continue to use you as a body as you open God's word, as you get to know who he is, and then you live and love like Jesus more and more as God changes you and makes you more like Jesus because this book is important. It's God's communication to us for our daily lives. Father, thank you for this wonderful body of believers. I pray that you would continue to strengthen each person here. Pray for Pastor Matt and and for Sarah and their daughters as they're away. Give them a refreshing time away. Bring fresh strength and energy and vision and passion as he uh, returns. And I pray for John King and his family as they move here, for uh, Mike Graham and others as they settle in, Ted Tanzi and others that are coming in. And you're doing something incredible here. And I pray, Father, that you continue to do that, that this community would see Jesus through the lives of the folks who call Bible Center Church their home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.